Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast, it's brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back for yet another episode of the Boca Podcast, and I'm here actually with a longtime friend, Jamie Gordon. Jamie, thank you so much for making time for the Boca Podcast. Oh, Nathan, thank you for having me. It's truly a privilege. I've had the opportunity to have your husband, Sean, on the podcast now a couple of times. Sean's a CEO over at Kiss Books. And so we get to do something kind of different today. I'm having you on and you are, is the official term a life coach? Is that right? Technically, I am a transformational life coach, which is a little bit different than just life coaching. But for all intents and purposes, I'm a life coach. <laughs> okay, very, very cool. And we're going to get into that in just a little bit. Maybe you can even kind of build on that. Tell us a little bit of the backstory, how you even got into it. But it is around the first of the year and something that we all kind of naturally think about. I think most of us, at least as business owners around the first part of the year is, all right, what's coming in this year? Are there things that I want to do differently? Things that I want to improve on? Things that I want to stop doing? Maybe they didn't work so well in the previous year. But we're going to be talking about uh, goal setting and more specifically short-term goal setting uh, a little bit later in the conversation. We're going to get to that. But as we normally do at the podcast, I want to ask you about something that I think is particularly relevant for you because you're a business owner, your husband's a business owner, you guys have kids together. It's a busy life. You mentioned this to me before we started recording. And so I'm curious what your, what we call our technique for time, what, what is your technique for time what is a, a workflow tip or trick that you that you implement in your week or your day-to-day workflow that creates space for you and your family? I love that question because I'm always interested in other people's strategies for how they do stuff. And for me, my strategy to get the time for myself and to set myself up for, I don't want to say success because that's tied to perfection and I'm not interested in perfection, but what helps me get that time for myself is I wake up Monday through Friday, at least 45 minutes before anybody else. Wow. And that gives me an opportunity to be quiet with myself, with my thoughts. And I kind of follow the same workflow in that 45 minutes to, it depends if I wake up earlier than I get up earlier, but can I ask what time that is? Cause Sean wakes up relatively early, I think too, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, yes, he does. Uh, I usually, the latest I get up is six. Okay. Wow. So if, if, if my body wakes me up at five thirty, then I get up at five thirty because if you go back to sleep, there's a little thing in your brain. It does, if you don't complete a sleep cycle, you're actually more tired in the day yeah. than if you just miss that half hour. So side note, don't snooze. So what I do is I get up and I already have my coffee going and I have these journal pages that I've made for myself what I found has worked for me. And I spend some time being thankful for something. Mm -hmm. Like I have these like questions already written out for me and I am thankful. I meditate on uh, a scripture. I do prayer and I ask myself like how I'm feeling today, why I'm feeling that way. And I have about five or six questions that lead me in uh, inquiry that helps me discover 
what I'm up to in my brain and help me get centered for the day. And then the last page of my journals has a to-be list, a to-do list, a to-go list, a to-recharge list. I've separated it all out. And I start by filling out my to-be list first, which would be like postures of the heart to be thinking about the day, thinking about my short-term goal, or I call it a vision, what's going to aid me in doing that that day. So in my list, I may include generous or patient, uh, authentic, vulnerable, connected, whatever comes into my mind, I write down. So I start the day already focused on how I want to show up. And what I found out through some research recently is that what I'm actually doing is priming myself, which is a really interesting concept linked to um, the law of attraction, which just basically says like you set yourself, your mind up to be taking in information differently than if you say, wake up anxious and stressed and you come at the day from that point of view, what you usually pick up is more of the stuff you don't want versus checking in with yourself, getting in a right state frame of mind. The things that you notice will be different. Wow, that's really good. Okay, but I have a couple of questions. Um, I'm hearing, well, first of all, for those listening in, I'm sure they may already be curious. Is, is this a, I mean, these journal pages that you've created, is this something that is available online that you're making available online? You know, I am going to be making it available online until that anyone can find me on Facebook or my, my website, email me. I will send you the PDF in the meantime, because it is absolutely a resource I would love to give away. Yeah, and let's go ahead and mention, uh, we normally do this at the end of our conversation as well, but you mentioned your website and Facebook. Can you go ahead and let our listeners know where they can find you in those mediums? Yeah, it's jamiegordonlifecoaching.com or jamiegordonlifecoaching on Facebook, same with Instagram. Yeah, and we'll make sure to link to those in the show notes. If those listening in, if you go to bokehpodcast.com, Haley puts together wonderful show notes for these episodes great resources. I'm sure that we're going to have a number of them from this conversation today. So make sure you go check that out. By the way, Jamie is spelled J-A-I-M-E. Somehow I'm still, after all these years of knowing you, Jamie, I still fumble around with that. So I just That's wanted to- okay. I planned ahead and I have both URLs. So if you type in my name <laughs> wrong, you'll still find me. Very smart. Okay. But I've got a couple of follow-up questions though. When you're talking about this, this process that gets your day started, um, first of all, the, the question, how am I feeling? I'm really curious to get your take on this. And this is something we've talked about a little bit on the podcast uh, before. But, you know, one of the things that, that our culture has become and where we're just spending more time talking about is our feelings. And it, and it seems like in some ways, to the extent that it is detrimental, that we're putting so much time and effort and energy looking inward, that mm-hmm. it's easy to get caught in this snowball effect of, I'm feeling this way and this translates to this thing. And then, and you get, and, and it, it's a, um, I don't know. It seems like in some ways a downward spiral sometimes versus this is how I say, for example, choose to feel. And these are the things that I'm going to do that I know will enable that. And I'm going to proactively push forward regardless of whether I'm, you know, quote in the mood to do so or not. Is there a detriment to spending too much time asking how I am feeling versus creating an environment for myself that enables me to feel the way that I want to? Absolutely. There's, I mean, it's both sides of the coin, right? You can't, anything in excess is unbalanced. You know, if you picture a penny, one side of it is checking in with your feelings and being aware and how that might be affecting what the choices that you're making or how you're showing up, right? The other side of the coin might be being so self-involved, staying in the pit that you 
you know, it's kind of like you find yourself down at the bottom of the well going, how in the heck did I get here? Because you just went down that rabbit hole right. and you find yourself just curled up in the fetal position. Yeah, you, you more eloquently described that for sure. And that, that's what I'm concerned about is this, uh, because, and, and, I, and I can say this because I've been guilty of it as well, where I'm, I'm sitting around thinking so much about myself and my issues and my problems and, and becoming so analytical that I get lost in it. And, mm-hmm. and, and then I, I'm not just living, you know, there, there's opportunity uh, and our listeners know I'm a huge Tony Robbins fan, but there's an opportunity to adjust, um, as you said, actually, first of all, to prime ourselves. And that's something he alludes to as well, but then also adjust our belief structure that enables us then to, to live a happier life. And, and we have the ability to be able to create that for ourselves versus simply saying, kind of reacting to whatever's going on around me. And then as a result, feeling a particular way. Absolutely. If you picture you're at the mall and you want to go to a certain store, right? Let's call that store. I don't know, content, joyful. Okay. Right. You don't just wander around the store, right? You got to look at the map and say, okay, where am I at? That's where the check-in is, is, okay, I'm feeling, if it's hmm. not that, if, it, if I may, I may wake up and feel like grateful. Great. I'm going to explore that because a lot of times we don't spend time on the good stuff. We only want to commiserate in the bad. Yeah. yeah. Let's say I wake up anxious because that's a big one for a lot of people or stressed or maybe it's angry because we haven't even checked in that it's actually fear. Right. So we're going to write that down. And it's not like I'm going to write down that I'm feeling angry and spend three pages of notes telling you what telling myself why I'm angry and feeling sorry for myself. But I'm going to say I'm feeling angry. Why? Because something didn't go the way I wanted it to. And the next line of questioning that I enter into is what am I making up about it? Okay, if that's true, what else could be as true, if not truer? I'm playing the lawyer against my own brain. Hmm. I don't let myself just stay in the story that I tell myself. You know, the the easiest person to fool is yourself. So if I'm going to say that I'm anxious over a certain thing that I can't control, that may be true. I can't control it. But what I've made up is that it's going to go bad. What I've made up is that that person is uncaring and kind, rude, selfish. What else could be true if not truer than that? So what leading your brain wants to answer questions. It's designed. It's a big computer. Right. It's always wanting to be working and moving. When we can give it the right input, it's kind of like typing into the search bar of your Google. Like I don't just get on the internet and say recipe. I'd have, I don't know, a jillion pages to look at. But I might say, I want a recipe with chicken, artichoke, and low-fat paleo, whatever, I'm going to get less pages of information. We're just training your brain to look for the information we want. We only get about 2% of the information that we're getting all the time, right? We only get about 2%. In that 98% that your brain is not actually consciously aware of, there's other information out there. So this line of inquiry is to say, what else is out there? And there's usually some sort of freedom to be gained from that, that allows you not to be curled up in the fetal position, you know, a victim to your feelings, yeah, and that and that again is that that reactive tendency that, that when you're playing a victim role, uh, in some cases, to be very very clear, there are certain situations where things happen to us that are, as you pointed out, out of our control. But I think we can we can ultimately, in so many situations in life, we can make it worse than it is, or them worse than they are, by simply focusing on the problem versus 
developing a certain level of self-awareness. We talk about med- meditation quite a bit here on the podcast because I think there's significant benefit both for, I mean, anyone certainly, but particularly for our our business owners, our photography business owners, self-awareness and the ability to be able to, to be present and aware of our thoughts, but then certainly understand the significance of them or the insignificance of them is really, really mm-hmm. important. And I think this is a great starting place for our listeners to begin to develop some of that self-awareness about how to look at or observe our thoughts and and what significance to give them or not to give them. I think it's a great place to start. I'm curious, though, about one other thing, because you're talking about getting up a little bit before everybody else, 45 minutes to an hour before everybody else. That, That journaling page that you described seems there's a lot involved there. Is that more than enough time to be able to get through that? Does it, does it become so complicated at times that it's too much to complete? What, what is that experience like for you? You know, it depends on the day. There are times where it is, I am done through the pages and I have ample time to have coffee and to read. Or, and there are other times where I don't get through it all. It all depends on what my brain is up to. And if I'm really present with what I'm doing instead of fast forwarding through my day, because the struggle to be present in journaling, that's a real thing. You know, it's easy to want to wake up and get on your phone, answer an email, think right, go straight to my to-do list instead of going through my journal pages first. But it becomes a discipline. Yeah. And the discipline, the consistency in a, in a process, I think there is something significant there. I mean, I, I know that I, I receive wonderful benefit from being consistent in a kind of a day-to-day, for lack of a better word, workflow, but especially when it means starting off the day with something that is going to help me be more present, more centered, and put me in a better state of mind to face the day. And, And I love that you're doing that consistently, and it's something certainly to be commended. And we'll make sure um, by the time that this episode comes out, if, if this, this particular um, journaling page isn't available where we can link that directly. Uh, again, for those of you listening in, reach out to Jamie. We'll link to her site and Facebook page in the show notes. We were talking about this idea of being more present, more focused. Is that something that uh, this journaling process, is that kind of your primary way of being more centered, more focused in your day-to-day busy life? I'd say it's definitely a time for me to check in with where I'm at and to start the the day in a place of focus or being present, but it really, it's an all day thing because I can start the day off present and I could be in a conversation an hour later with my kid and checked out and in my brain and not present. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. So is there, is there a tool, a tip, a trick that you can recommend for those to, that are listening in to, I guess to, to, I don't know, I, I picture this, this movie scene where this almost fast forwarding kind of sucking motion where we that person's mind comes back to present. Mm-hmm. Is there, is there a, a technique that you can recommend to our listeners? Yeah. Well, I wish there was like this <laughs> five easy, easy steps. Being present. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's, it's taken me a long time for me to not be present, right? As a toddler, you're in the moment, there's nothing else going on. And we've learned, we've got a habit of thinking about five things at once, not really being with somebody when we're with somebody And one of the things that is probably most instrumental in being presence with somebody is to surrender to what is like surrendering to the fact that maybe the conversation isn't going the way you 
want it to. And Mm. instead of going into your mind and formulating your reasons or your strategy to change the dynamic of the, of the, the conversation, or instead of me thinking about all that I need to do when really what I say is most important to me is the connection I have with the people I love. So in the moment surrendering, like, Oh, I've realized I've noticed it. I'm not present right now. I think noticing is probably actually the hardest part is noticing when you are not doing what you say matters to you. But when you notice it, surrendering to it, not making yourself feel bad about it, not going to shame. Oh, there I go again. I can't. I'm such a bad person. Right. Because shame will shut us down and take us down that whole rabbit hole. We don't care to go down instead surrendering to, okay, it is what it is. And when I surrender, I can look at and see new possibilities. Right. I'm going from a a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. Our brain works much better when we're thinking about possibilities instead of, oh, crap, I just screwed up again. (laughs) <laughs> or it's not going right, and the humility to do that, right? To be always in a posture of learning, to be a student of life, be a student of the people around you that you're wanting to be in connection with, being a student of yourself. Because, like I said, we're the easiest person to to fool. And I love this quote: "It is impossible to learn that which one thinks one already knows." Mm. And I just think, like, dang it. That kicks me in the teeth sometimes because I know, you know, I think I know something and I'm off in my head, not present, not being in the moment, in the present, right? I'm living in the past or I'm living in the future instead of enjoying the gift that the present is. Yeah. And it, you know, it takes me back, honestly, to this is something I've brought up quite a bit on the podcast. It's been so impactful to me. And I think it's relevant to this point of conversation as well. Uh, There's a book called The Untethered Soul by a guy named Michael Singer. And he, he, kind of brings the idea of meditation to a more accessible place for a lot of people. It certainly did for me. I was able to make more sense of the idea of the process, but something that he spends quite a bit of time. In fact, initially, actually annoyingly so, so much time just really drilling down to this idea of the voice inside our head and the reality, which is that we are not the voice inside our head. There is, there is our mind, which is trying to make sense of the world. Like you said, we're, we're automatically trying to um, attach meaning or to make sense of what is going on around us, but that we're able to, to actively watch ourselves do that thing. So the reality is there is a separation between that so-called voice in our head and us, the, the deeper us. And so for us to be able to, to develop a, an ability in the moment, as you were describing just now, to be able to see that thing happen, be okay with it, acknowledge it, sure, but let it be, and then to make a decision about how to engage with that. And of course, the last thing that we want to do is to, to set ourselves up for um, a, a miserable conversation in that context. And so we decide to, to go with the flow, if you will, and engage with this person in a way that we know is going to be beneficial for them, for us. But that very ability to be able to sit there, observe, to feel something, but understanding that our observation and our feelings aren't us and that we have the ability to be able to choose how to engage with those feelings is a really, really powerful concept. And again, it was kind of weird. Uh, Initially I'm reading this book and he's like three, four chapters in and he keeps hammering home on this idea. And I'm like, what in the world, man, keep like move on. And then it finally clicked. And, and it's a really, really powerful concept. We're going to link to that in the show notes as well. I know that we've talked about it along the podcast, but it seems relevant and it's a really powerful uh, ability to learn how to create that separation. And by the way, it also makes 
meditating so much easier too, because instead of trying to fight, you know, a lot of people have this idea that meditation is sitting there not thinking about anything. And the reality is that as human beings, just the way that our mind works, there are going to be thoughts that come into our, our head. That's a normal, natural thing. So instead of trying to fight those, we can see them in, acknowledge them, that's fine, and then let them go out and, and repeat that process over and over again because we have the ability to. We can separate ourselves from them. And repeating that process ultimately, for me anyway, has been a really powerful experience of meditation. It enables me to be present um, in a way that I hadn't experienced before. Mm. Yeah, I love that. It's the difference between trying to control and self-control. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, I like that. That summed it up beautifully. I can't control the conversation. I can't control the situation. What I do have control over is what I do with the information, how I'm relating to it. And that's freedom. 100%. 100%. Speaking of, of books, what is one of the most impactful books that you've read that you would recommend to our listeners? You know, it's, it's not the most, uh, it's not like a fun read. It's an entertain. I mean, it is, I'll tell you, it's three laws of performance okay. by Steve Zaffron and Dave Logan. And it just was something that was, uh, instrumental in changing my mindset on, um, how we can shift things for ourselves. The idea of basically the principles are like how we perform is connected to how a situation occurs to us, which makes sense. And then how it occurs to us comes up in our language. And if we want to shift how it occurs to us, we shift the language. And if you think about it, it makes sense. Like a rudder on a ship, right? If we are always saying, I don't have time, I'm so busy. Like there's no way I'll ever get, you know, oh, I wish I could take the day off and go to the movies, right? We've already decided it's so. We haven't given any opportunities for something to be different. And that may have been true up until this point, but when you start to shift your language, you're tr- signaling your brain that something else could be possible yeah. and how that changes our behavior. Yeah, that language is an interesting point of conversation when it comes to our mental, emotional health too. And mm-hmm. These days, one of the things that I've, seen, I've noticed in our culture is that more and more words no longer have one definition. And people are using words in kind of whatever way that they want to in the moment. And it causes a lot of confusion, certainly in relationships, because now you have to kind of sort through what that person might mean with that particular word. But I I wonder too how, well, I wonder how that might even play a role in what you're talking about now, how we, I guess maybe it's more specific to, in, in this context, to what that word means to us, but the words that we use, I'm, I'm very, very conscious, both in the words that I use and the way that I talk to uh, my kids, for example. Um, and I do the same thing. I encourage them to do the same thing because it makes it easier for clearer when it, when it comes to relationships. It makes it, e- makes it easier to engage with other people, but it definitely sets a tone. And it seems like that's what you're talking about is using the right words to set the tone for a particular mental framework in the way that we're engaging with life. Well, yeah, I think that what you're talking about, the mental, like the precision of language, right? Choosing words that are either going to bring us closer to what we want or farther away. So I use a phrase up until now. So if it's something that I've been on the struggle bus with, and it may be, let's just take a benign example. I could say, oh, I have no self-discipline. I can't lose the weight. Every day at three o'clock, I just go in my pantry and I eat tortilla chips. The shift would start with noticing my language. I've already decided it. So I've taken right. 
the past, all the evidence I have from the past, brought it with me into the present, and I've already said what the future is. Like, there's no room for change. I've already got my default future right in front of me. So instead, the shift comes from up until now, I haven't made the the choices I wanted to, and up until now, I've gone into the pantry at 3 o'clock and eaten tortilla chips. That signals my, like, I've started to shift what is possible. I've started to shift how it occurs to me. So now I have a choice. I've made it a choice instead of making it a fixed decision, an impossibility. Because the difference between, and I know you're a Tony Robbins fan, like the idea that you're more likely to get what you want if you believe it's inevitable. Mm. Yeah, and truly believe it too. I, this is something that I think I was just talking with another guest about on the podcast. When you when you believe something enough to choose, to truly choose to do something, you get rid of all other options. And it mm-hmm. is only that thing. Right. And and it's not like a, you know, oh man, I'm going to beat myself into submission. I'm going to just do more, be better, because that doesn't work. That's short term, right? You have to shift what is real for you, what is possible, believing it's true. And it's not going to name it and claim it like, oh, I'm going to drive a Ferrari, right? And just Magically, it's going to happen. I don't believe that happens. But if you believe that that is a core value for you, you shift and believe that it's possible, then you can start working your way backwards. Well, what it would look like today for me to be at that place in three, six, nine, twelve 12 months from now. Huh, that's interesting. Okay, so wow, we've touched on so many different things and probably like topics that could be episodes in and of themselves, but three laws of performance. We'll make sure to link to that that book in the show notes as well. Um, we've been talking for a bit now, really, well, I mean, actually, our conversation has been a reflection, I guess I should say, of your ability as a life coach. But I'm curious to just explore the backstory to that a little bit. What was the impetus to become a a life coach? And, and talk to us a little bit, too, about the mission behind your business at this point. Absolutely. So first, I'll start with the mission of my my business. I love being able to hold a space for people that they get to do the work of transformation to changing their life, to have more of what they want, the longings of their heart to actually come into fruition. I love being able to break down some of those, those beliefs that get in their way. I, man, it's just to see the freedom that comes to my clients. There's nothing like it. I, I just have such great joy when I hear someone get unstuck in an area where they've been stuck for years, Mm. maybe their whole life. And all that comes from is a shift to how they're relating to it. The circumstance may not change, but how they related to it has shifted. And that greatly impacts our performance and what we do. And for it to not be about more and better and good and perfection, but about accepting who we are, knowing that we're enough just as we are, that what we want is somewhere inside of us wanting to happen if we'll get quiet and listen to our hearts. And for me to be kind of their cheerleader and coach, sometimes it's the, you know, like, come on, you could do it one more. (laughs) And other times it's just a soft place to land. But being on the journey with my clients, I love. And And you actually talk about this on your site, Tim. I'm on your website right now. Uh, And again, for those listening in, it's jamiegordonlifecoaching.com. We'll link to that in the show notes. But you sum it up just in the about section of your site. You say, 
um, that you partner with individuals to clarify their vision, break through barriers, achieve the longings of their hearts in life, relationships, and business. And you said, I truly believe in the power of standing with my clients as they do the work of transform- transformation. And, and I love the significance. I mean, you talk about the significance of words and the specificity there, which is not that you're doing the work for them, but you're standing with them as they're doing the work um, and, and helping guide them through that. Ultimately, I think that's really powerful. At the very top of that, uh, of the site, though, and then I want to get into your backstory. There's a quote that says a ship in, in harbor is safe, but that is not what ships are built for. Can you explain the significance of that and how that relates to your mission? Mm, absolutely. I think that, man, we want to play it safe. Most of us, right? It's so in our nature to be safe and comfortable and you know, it's like our brain's number one job, right? Keep us alive. Yeah. And sometimes our brain gets over <laughs> zealous and we end up making our lives really small and we end up dying this slow, painful, lonely, boring life. But in fact, Soren Kierkegaard has this great quote as humans, we are conditioned to find the most tolerable measure of misery and call it happiness. Ooh. And our lives are busy and we've got schedules and yeah. we've got all this stuff. But over time, things don't, there's not a season where things just stop and we get like, all right, now this is your time to find something fun to do. This is your time to develop that skill. This is the time for you to have good marriage, right? That time is now. And without the purpose and clarity of creating like the short term visions, we just let time slide. Not because we don't care, it's because we're human. We're busy. We've got other things going on. We are so easily distracted. I feel like half the time I'm like squirrel and the vision brings me back to what <laughs> yeah. I really want to do. Yeah. What I'm really, what I say matters to me. I want to have actually happen. I don't want there to be a discrepancy between the two. Hmm. Well, and it, and it requires being really clear about what that vision is too. And that's, Again, it's something that I, I love that there are themes. I, I think I, I've a bit of apprehension as a podcast host that we don't become so repetitive that our listeners are like, oh man, there he goes again talking about you know such and such. But there are certain principles in life that are powerful for a reason. And mm-hmm. uh, I've certainly experienced the, the power of clarity and purpose and vision and how that directs the way that we spend our time. And I think that's really, really important. But back to this idea that we have a tendency of wanting to play it safe, uh, there, there is way more ability within us than I think many of us realize or are willing to acknowledge. And I love that you are there to enable individuals or help them see their ability and um, learn what it means and how to go about the process of stepping out and taking those chances and living a more fulfilling life. I think that's a really, really powerful thing. But talk to us about how you got to this place. What led to this desire to help others? And how did you start this business? Yeah, I think that it was a couple years ago, I was in a place where my kids were starting to get older. I've got two kids in high school, one that's in elementary school. And I was working part-time for uh, Kiss Books, designing books for photographers. And it was a creative outlet, but it wasn't enough for me. And so I decided that it was time for me to find something else. And so I embarked on a journey with my life coach, um, Julia Woods, and just started a blog for family photos, styling your family photo. And I decided as part of this blog that I was, you know, 
fixing this problem that I saw a lot of people complain about, like stressing out about, that I decided I needed to be in the heads of the moms that would be frequent, frequently the blog. And so I decided to offer free like shopping with some moms in my area. And so about a dozen shopping trips in with people I'd never met before in my area, I was smacked in the face with the knowledge that every single one of us has this belief that we're not enough and that we shouldn't put ourselves out there. We don't believe in ourselves. We don't try anything. We're making our lives smaller than they can be. And I just felt this immense need to love these women. And I knew that the blog post was, or the blog was more of a exercise in creativity, but it wasn't going to be enough for me. And that's what led me to this. And I'd always had in my heart a desire to be with hurting people and to just stand with people. I've always had this ability to see who someone is underneath all the garbage and hurt. And what someone might see is somebody who's a prickly pear. I can see the tender underneath. Mm. And so I think when I could look back, I looked for breadcrumbs for what my life's work was. How, what was I doing in grade school, middle school, high school, college as a young adult? What were the things that stood out to me as important or valid or felt like my heart was coming alive? And it was when I could be with people um, in a place that's understanding and yet also bring challenge. And so I wasn't willing to go back to school <laughs> to become a therapist. But I, and I wanted the flexibility of what a life coach can offer. Currently, I do all of my sessions over the phone. And that gives me the flexibility to talk to people in different time zones, but also gives me the flexibility as a mom and someone who has my husband works, travels a lot for work. It gives me the flexibility to be where I need to be and also be there for my clients. Well, you know, Jamie, you and I have had some really interesting conversations over the years. I think a lot of that has to do with our personalities. We we do like to go deep and kind of dig into various topics. But um, I, I have to say, for the sake of our listeners, um, I have to give you props because we had the chance to chat for about 20 minutes before we hit the record button. And within a span of about five minutes, we were, I was kind of opening up about things that I was struggling with in life. And you know, what was interesting, what was so interesting, and I think, again, I, I want to give you kudos because your approach at that point wasn't to simply give advice. It was to ask questions, which put the weight in, in some ways back on me to, to better understand myself and ultimately use that understanding to become better. I like that approach of asking questions versus simply giving advice. And I think that you, know, you mentioned uh, therapy as well. I mean, a, a good therapist, for example, is one who does enable somebody to become a better person, um, not by simply relying on the therapist, but by giving that person the tools to become better. And of course, better is different um, depending on the context of the conversation, but become healthier, shall we say. And you were doing that very thing. And um, so I think it was really great. And the questions were good and, and ultimately uh, thought provoking. And I appreciate you taking that time. But I just want to give you a bit of a plug there, too, because it was it was I mean, seriously, within the span of 15 or 20 minutes, we had already had an incredible conversation that was certainly thought provoking. 
Um, you mentioned something in passing, and I want to touch on this before we get into kind of our primary topic for today. And, and that is this idea of good enough, because our culture is really interesting right now. This has happened with a number of topics in, in pop culture. Uh, and there's been some good to it, but I think there's been some harm to it. And that is that as we see human behavior in the past, we are reacting to it. We're saying that behavior was not good and we need to do better. But what, is, what has happened in many of these conversations, it seems, is that the pendulum swings to the opposite direction where we overreact uh, and it needs to kind of come back to center. And one of those conversations has to do with this idea, um, at least from my perspective, and so I want to get your take on this, about being, quote, good enough. Um, because, and, and what a lot of this conversation centers around is a reaction to our tendency in the past. I mean, we, we don't have a long history, specifically in American culture, but if we look back at the way that, that we engage with each other, the way that we talk to ourselves, there is a tendency to beat ourselves up and, because we're not a particular way. We're not living up to some cultural norm. Uh, that's at least a phrase that's used in these conversations. But in, in response to that now, there is this, this trend in this conversation about being good enough. And what I, what I fear is happening through that certainly is some good, but is also kind of an overreaction, which is I, I fall short in these various realms, but I am quote good enough. I don't like feeling bad about, or feeling like I fall short or that um, my behavior is unhealthy or that I could push myself a little bit harder in business or whatever it might be. I don't like feeling that way. I don't like that uncomfort. And so I'm just going to tell myself that I'm good enough and we're going to leave it at that. Where's the balance between, quote, being good enough and knowing that we are good enough, but yet seeing opportunity for growth and being willing to go there? Right. Because there's definitely a difference. There's the, uh, it's good enough, so I'm going to stay in stagnation. I'm not going to venture out. It's that... finding the level of misery and calling it happiness is that one, right? The other extreme is nothing I do is good enough. I always got to be pushing, 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 doing, doing, doing. And there is a balance. If the teeter-totter, if the, on the two ends, there's the I'm good, I don't have to do anything is on one end, unbalanced. And the I'm bad, broken, and wrong, I always have to be pushing forward. That's on the other end. Coming to the middle of it, of the, the teeter-totter, to where there's balance is knowing that there is good and bad in all of us, that there is, uh, in fact, there's this great little analogy of having a white wolf and a black wolf in each of us, right? The black wolf is the selfishness, the envy, the explosive anger. It's the victim story. It's the fear. It's the things that we don't like about ourselves. On the white wolf is the generous part of you, the person that's connected, the person that's vulnerable and authentic. It's all of the things that are wonderful and great about you. And we tend to think that we need to be all white wolf to be enough. And that's not true. We are always going to have both of those within us. We get to choose, you know, which wolf we're feeding. That's the one that's going to win more of the t- more times, right? It's not about getting rid of it. It's about having it more than it has you. Hmm. So it's like accepting that there, the perfection is not the goal. It's unattainable. When we are striving after perfection, we've already made ourselves bad, broken, and wrong because we can't meet that expectation. So then we're sitting in shame, and shame shuts us down. 
Instead, it's surrendering to the fact that, guess what? I have things about me that I don't like that will always be a part of me, but I can choose whether I'm feeding it or I'm starving it. It's going to bubble up. It's part of life. That's okay. And relating to it instead of I'm bad, broken, and wrong because I chose to, you know, not do something or I did something I didn't want to do. I get to look at it as a choice without the emotions attached to it. That was just the choice. It was the best choice I saw available to me. We know our brains, we always are acting in a way that seems like the best option, even though like logically we know it's not the best option, but we made the choice because it was our best option. When we can shift, okay, no bad. Why did I think that was the best choice? Exploring that so that next time I can make a choice that brings me closer to what I want instead of farther away. That makes sense. I, I think that's a, it, it seems like a healthy balance. I just, I wanted to go there because, uh, you know, for the sake of not hurting others' feelings, for the sake of not hurting our own feelings, it seems like we've kind of erred in the direction of being soft in some ways. And I mean, I, I say this and it's, it's an obvious reflection of, of my past and, and some of the things that I'm going through even right now, I do have a tendency of, of pushing myself quite a bit. And in some cases, maybe a little bit too hard. Um, but I, I don't, I just, I guess I have a hard time seeing what would be wrong with wanting to, uh, or even considering the idea that it would be a good thing to, even if it's an incremental bit, continue to improve ourselves in one form or another. If, if it becomes an obsession or an addiction, or it gets in the way of our ability to be able to live a happy life on an objective level, then that's that's one thing. But is, can that actually be a bad thing? Is it as bad as our culture is making it out to be? No, I don't think it's it's what we're atta- what we're relating to it. We're attaching it to perfection. If we're not attaching it to perfection, but attaching it to being purposeful and mm. clear about what we want yeah. and taking steps to be what we want to have in the future. That's a totally different thing. It's when we take it to perfection that ends up bringing us to shame. And that's when we get into the, I'm not good enough. Instead, we should always have something that we're striving for. I do. If you're not having a short-term goal or vision, then you're just stagnation. You don't grow. It's like a goldfish in a bowl. That's it. Hmm. That's as big as it's going to get. Yeah. Right. But what you're talking about is the tension between where you are and where you want to be. That if you picture like two pegs and a rubber band, you always want to have the tension in the rubber band that's pulling you towards the future that you want. Right. If it's too slack, the rubber band falls off. If it's too tight, the rubber band breaks. Hmm. That's the balance. So you want to have something that you're, I mean, we're human. We always should be growing, evolving and moving forward. But if we have made it the goal perfection or so far outside of our, our comfort zone that we have crossed over complexity into chaos, we're not going to grow. Oh, I like that. So, so it has to be not super comfortable, super orderly. There has to be some tension because that's what will pull you into the future that you want. You need it there to be, you have to be uncomfortable to grow. You don't get to be comfortable and grow at the same time. Well, I think that's part of what what is innate to these conversations. It's the idea that, I mean, people get so used to, we, I should say, we have gotten so used to living in, an, in a comfortable world and first world society, particularly I'm, I'm speaking in this context about the U.S. 
in first world culture, we're so comfortable that the idea that something would make us uncomfortable or challenge us a bit has become even more a foreign concept. And, um, and then in that process, you know, a lot of times, unfortunately, I think our culture is assigning this idea of being better, uh, a meaning which I think is a misnomer in some ways. It's, it is, it's not about being perfect. It's about being better. It's not about being perfect. It's about being healthy. It's not about being perfect. It's about learning how to, to love uh, somebody else more effectively. But I, I like that distinction. It, it is, I think, the difference. It is healthy to get better. It's not healthy to strive for, for perfection. And that differentiation is, is a really distinct one. I also like the analogy of the, those two pegs in the rubber band that if you do create too much tension, or as you said, too much chaos, that band breaks. Um, and, and I think I have a tendency, just because I have a, I'm an extremist yeah. personality, to, to tend to push so much that I break and then I have to start the process all over again. Balance has always been, um, for the longest time anyway, has been a struggle of mine. So that's that's definitely some a place that I have room to grow. But I appreciate your perspective on that because I, I, it's just it's a conversation we see so much of these days. You know, I'm good enough. I'm good enough. I'm good enough. You know, I'm 100 pounds overweight, but I'm good enough. And inwardly, at the most base level, certainly. But that doesn't. I, I think, and, and this is not just relevant to health conversation. It's relevant to anything. Using that that line, I'm good enough as an excuse not to be willing to go outside our comfort zone to improve, mm-hmm. I, th- I think is where that conversation falls short and I think is hurting our culture in some ways. And so that's, I, I wanted to get your take on that. I think it's an interesting conversation. I think also just changing the word from better to new. Better implies that something isn't good enough, right? But when you're creating something new in your life, there's no basis for perfection. It's new. Is there not a difference between perfection and better, though? I mean, it, better would suggest that there's room for improvement. And as you said, there's, there's always room for improvement in one form or another. I mean, it's good to take a break. You know, we go on vacation so that we can take a break, maybe even from that, that effort and improving. But the reality is there's always room to be better. We, we look at somebody on the basketball court on, on TV, and, and we can see that somebody is better than us. We know that we're not as good. There is room for improvement there. Um, sure. and, and that's just one tiny little analogy or example. But there's always, there's always room. The reality is that there is room for improvement. Is that, does that actually have to be a trigger of some kind, I guess, um, to, to borrow kind of a modern uh, cultural trending term right now? Does that have to be a trigger for stress or anxiety, this idea that there is room to, be, to, to improve? Uh, is it not more about, as you pointed out earlier, the difference between improvement and perfection? Yeah, I think it's how, again, I'm beating this dead horse, but it's how we relate to it. Okay. If if I, so let's take the basketball example. If I want to be better at basketball, right, that's one thing. But if I have a have related to it that because I am not better at basketball, that that makes me less than or not enough, right, where it comes into who I am as a human being. And a lot of us do that. It's human. We may be able to, on paper, separate out the two, but when we look in comparison to somebody else, we're really evaluating our worth. Hmm. Somewhere in there, deep down, if you sit with it long enough, that's where it goes. So instead of better, like what if it was just new? Because better turns into best, right? The continuum. 
Hmm. That's an interesting way to look at it. Okay. Wow. Well, it's a loaded topic and I know it's totally off topic, but I, <laughs> I appreciate the thought provoking conversation. And I hope that in some way this is helpful to our listeners too. I didn't mean this to turn into a therapy session to deal with my own <laughs> questions and issues, but I, I like that it also shines a light on, on your ability again in this realm. Let's, let's jump to the, the, the primary topic for today or what, what I meant to be the primary topic for today. And that has to do with short-term goal or vision setting and, you know, I'm not a huge fan of, um, of the idea that every year, beginning of the year, we have to hit the reset button because we fell off whatever wagon through the previous year. I think that's a bit of a, a kind of a defeating mentality and approach to, well, I'm speaking of getting better, to improving ourselves. Mm-hmm. Having bigger picture goals, which is something, again, that we talk about all the time on the podcast, a bigger picture view, overarching goals that drive the way that we live personally. And of course, that translates to our business as well, the business model that we establish. I think that's a much healthier way to go about it. And it enables us to continue to push to get better. We're living based on our values and our long-term goals. And that doesn't change. It may, may change from time to time, but it's not going to change every year at the beginning of the year, just because that's the thing to do. That being said, to, to accomplish those goals, to meet those goals, at some point, we have to set shorter term goals in order to get to that place, right? We've, I've likened it in the past to the difference between projects and tasks, right? A project takes multiple steps to accomplish. A task is an individual step. So let's talk today about this idea of short-term goals. Um, we, we've talked extensively about the idea of big picture goals, but short-term goals or visions, and maybe you can differentiate those two because I know you've used both words. How would you define this idea or this notion of a short-term goal or vision from your perspective? Yeah. So what I do is I call it vision because a goal is just, I want X to happen, right? I want this to change. I want, it's about more and better. A vision will have a couple components that are slightly different than, say, goals. Because goals is based on, like you said, New Year's resolutions, right? It's all about our own efforts. It's our self-discipline. It's about whether or not we can just, like, you know, put on our big girl pants and get it done. The vision is just a little bit different, but a little bit different can make a big difference. Yeah, so going back like, to the significance of words again. Yeah. So the let me just tell you, like, the components of what makes up a vision, and then I'll kind of explain what it is and how you get there. Yeah. So you're going to have future-based language. You're going to be clear and specific with measurable results. You're going to have action steps and how you will get there and completion dates for each of the action steps. So you have dates for the, the main goal and you have dates for your action steps. And the Last part, probably the most important part, is you're going to add in a way of being or a posture of the heart that will support you in your vision. So I'll give you an example. If you are wanting to have a more intimate connection with your spouse, and that will require you to be what? To get there. Like if you think about like all the things in order to get you to be in an intimate connected relationship with your spouse in say 90 days from now, what way of being would help you get there? I make up that you would have to be vulnerable or you might have to be authentic or you might have to be connected or you might have to be present. You would pick one thing and it might be a few things, but one thing that really stands out to you that this is what it would really require me to get there. If it's something that's scary to you, 
you're going to start a new business and you are scared out of your pants and maybe bravery would be the way of being that you would want to attach to your vision. Something that in the moment when you're making a choice to whether or not to say, uh, send that email asking for business as a new business owner, you could tap into and go, I'm brave. So that it's like in one word, puts you back into the place that motivates you to get you where you want to go. Hmm. I really like that. I don't think I've ever heard this idea of setting a posture or kind of a uh, frame of mind for the sake of accomplishing a a short-term goal. That's, that's a, I really like that. I really like that, but putting yourself in the right frame of mind in order to be able to accomplish the task. Okay. So uh, you mentioned the future, the first element of that is is what again? I'm, I'm actually I'm, I was taking notes in my my handwriting for some reason got too messy. So <laughs> absolutely. So future based language. So future based language. Okay. Yes. Cool. So remember, we're shifting how things occur to us. So instead of bringing our past into the present with us, and then automatically becoming our default future, we're going to instead pretend like we're jumping into the future three months from now. Okay. I do ninety days. You can pick whatever you want. I don't think a year is enough of a, like that rubber band, it needs to feel like, oh, I got to get moving. Right. So you would say by this day, I commit to have blank, right? We're being specific with our language. Like I am blank. So I am a business owner, whatever it is. Right. Or I am 20 pounds lighter, or I am in a, or I commit to be in an intimate relationship with my spouse right? As if it has already happened. And then under that, you'll have your action steps. You have to, this is where your strategies come in, right? Goals say, start with the strategy. The strategies don't particularly matter. Like if you're going to lose weight, there's about a million diets you could choose. If you stuck with your, your diet or your strategy, you would lose the weight, but it's about being still with your heart and listening to what actually will get you where you want to go. Yeah, it, it's interesting that you mentioned that there uh, that about the the million different strategies. I mean, strategy plays a, a significant role for sure, but it's easy to get caught up. And again, I'll speak from personal experience, but it's easy to get caught up in the process versus just doing it sometimes, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and not overcomplicating it in that. Well, we I don't know about you, but I feel a sense of responsibility taken off my shoulders. The complexity of it all, if I can hang my hat on the strategy, hmm. if I can pick the right strategy, then I'm going to be successful. If I pick the wrong strategy, I'm going to fail. Therefore, I'm not really in it. The strategy is to blame or to, or is the, the one that got me there or it's the one that failed me. Interesting. Okay. So like if I was just going to be really responsible for what I'm going to contribute, what I'm committed to have happening, then I can come up with my action steps. So let's say you want to have an intimate relationship with your spouse, but you've been working 70 hours a week and you don't really see each other all that much. You got kids. By the time you're bed, you're exhausted. You don't talk. So then you could go, okay, this is where I'm at in relation to where I want to go. Right now we have no time together. We're not having any conversations. I am on my phone before I go to bed and we don't actually have a conversation. I don't feel connected. You know, our sex life sucks, whatever it is being like identifying where I am on the map. If I'm in the mall again, right where I want to go, that, that store in the mall, intimate and connected, Now, how am I going to get there? So like under that, you might come up with some ideas like maybe I need to not be on my phone when we're in bed talking, sitting next to each other. Like there's an action step. 
You put a date on it. When am I not going to be on my phone? Well, I could do that right now, today. Today I commit to not being on my phone in bed, right? Maybe there's ones that might take a little bit longer. Maybe you have to talk to your boss about uh, leaving at five, coming in early or whatever it is so you can have time. Maybe that'll take a week before you have a conversation with your, your boss so you'd write down the date. So whatever those steps are, you write those down with dates, being very, very specific because when we're not specific and clear, we use that as a backdoor to get out of our commitments because this work is uncomfortable. Yeah, the, the specificity uh, element is is good here. And it takes the the time to actually break this all down and write it out in detail. But not only the detailed steps or the action steps, as you're pointing out, but assigning the date, which holds us accountable. I mean, would you recommend getting, I mean, we're, we were talking about this largely in the context of a relationship, but of course, we also want to make it relevant to the photography business owner. Would, would this be something? Oh, these, absolutely. These action steps for example, would, would they share this with their, their business partner? So there's some level of accountability associated, not only with the steps themselves, but the, the, the due dates on them, if you will. Yeah, I think that first, you can definitely use this for anything you want in your life. You could change your, your vision could be in 90 days, I commit to have increased my revenue by X amount of dollars, right? So it could be with anything. It doesn't have to be like in context with relation or relationships or with health or it could be anything. And then as far as accountability, you can certainly share it with your friend, discuss it with them, check in with somebody else who has a vision, but also checking in with yourself, keeping yourself accountable, asking yourself like one of the things like in your journal pages is like, how am I doing with this thing? Am I committed? Am I doing what I said I was going to do? If I'm not doing it, what are the stories I'm making up about why I haven't done it? Or maybe I need to switch gears. What's wanted and needed? What do I need to change? So if one of the things I I go to relationship, because I think that when you shift one thing, you shift it all. But what if one of the action steps was to be a generous listener? How could you check in how is that measurable? You could ask yourself at the end of the day or the end of the week, what did I learn this week? That gives me a gauge to, am I really showing up the way I say I'm going, I want to? Am I really operating from the future me, the one that is connected and intimate? Or if it is, say, in your photography business, and one of the action steps is that maybe you are going to ask for business, ask for the full price of what you're booking without trying to scramble and, you know, offer them a deal before they've asked for it, right? You can look back and go, did I do that in that meeting? Was I scrambling for the deposit or did I let them, did I let myself be uncomfortable in that they may not book with me because I'm expensive? Right. And a lot of that has to do with, with the mindset that you're associating with that, with that mm-hmm. goal too, correct? Now, Right. So then it's the mindset. Yeah. So this this idea of short term goals. I mean, I, I kind of set the maybe the tone for the conversation, um, comparing long term or bigger picture goals versus short term goals. But again, from your personal experience, what what are the benefits of a short term goal set in this way that you're describing, um, and particularly as it relates to photography business owners? Well, I think the fact that you're not just wishing it'll happen. The time doesn't just go flying by and another year goes by and you're still charging the same amount of money. You're still booking the same amount of clients. 
it's the account it's you're setting your target it's kind of like um you know like a heat seeking missile you got to target it let your brain go to work for you you're you know you don't have all access to all that 98% of information and possibilities and resources that are out there and when you get specific about what you want and where you want to go all of a sudden your brain will start noticing stuff for you yeah for sure so there's opportunities and resources and when you make yourself uncomfortable like you know the 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 ship in harbor is safe well you might be safe in your business the way you are charging the same amount that you did 3 years ago having the same amount of clientele but maybe you really want to shift to something else but you're scared the vision is kind of like that flag you know the stake in the ground that says this is what i'm going to i'm up to i'm growing my business this year or i'm shifting the kind of photography that I'm doing, or this year's the year I'm going to uh, sell albums to all my clients, or this is the year that I'm going to go after print photography and whatever it is for you, right? Putting the stake in the ground and saying, this is what I'm committed to. You're already, and you can't just say it and go, oh, magically it happened. It fell in my lap. That was awesome. <laughs> right. Right? The whole point is that it's going to be, there is going to be moments where you're like, this sucks. This is really hard. But in those moments, there's actually wonderful, wonderful bits of information for you. It is actually a provision for what you want. When you're in that struggle, when you're finding yourself like, this didn't work. Why didn't it work? I'm like, ah, like those are the moments that you actually find the information that you need to move yourself forward to find out that you were stuck in ways you didn't know you were stuck because there's information that you don't know what you don't know. And when you give yourself an opportunity to put yourself in someplace uncomfortable, put yourself in the complexity, all of a sudden you get these little jewels you didn't even know you were missing. And then you get to use them for the rest of your lives. And that, you know, and it forever will be. You never arrive. You've never become. You're always a becoming. But it all starts with this this framework. I mean, I like that you're pointing out that the significance of being proactive versus reactive. We can't want something and then not act on it. I, I you know, I, I say this to my kids. <laughs> it's one thing to, to want something or to talk about something. It's another thing to do something about it. And what we're talking about is a framework around which we can actually do something about the things that we want, whether it's in our personal life, whether it's in our business life, and particularly when it comes to short-term goals that are ultimately going to be a reflection or short-term visions, which are ref- a reflection of that bigger picture vision this framework is is a really great place to start. Again, a future-based short-term vision, setting a certain time frame. And you, you mentioned the idea of 90 days, just as an example, being really, really specific, using very clear language, developing action steps and associating a completion date with those. And then overall, maintaining a particular frame of mind, a posture of the heart. I, I love that idea. And, and making it specific to that particular short-term vision, I think that's really powerful. I really appreciate you sharing both this and then so many other things today. We've kind of, we've jumped all over the place and I appreciate you making space for that, allowing that to happen. Um, and I'm sure we could have probably talked for another two or three hours if you kept letting me ask questions, but um, I really appreciate you making time to do this for the Book of Podcast, Jamie. And if, if you don't mind, will you share just one more time where our listeners can find you online and how they can potentially follow up with you? Yes. First of all, thank you. It's my pleasure. You can find me on Facebook or my website or Instagram, Jamie Gordon Life Coaching. You can also find me on Bombshell Business Experts app. Oh, awesome. Okay, very cool. Well, we'll make sure to link to all these in the show notes. Again, for those of you listening in, Boca Podcast, B-O-K-E-H podcast.com. 
Um, go check that out. All the resources, books, links that we've mentioned in today's episode and in other episodes as well. You can check those out at bocapodcast.com. Thanks again, Jamie. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca Podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. Dot com.